Tracking and attribution challenges for SEO. What are the current tracking and attribution challenges that SEOs are facing? And how should you deal with these challenges? I'm your host, David Bain, and that's what we're covering today on the Majestic SEO podcast and live stream with a wonderful panel. So without any further ado, let's ask them to introduce themselves, starting off with Nava. Hello, everybody. David, thank you so much for having me. I am honored to be on this powerhouse panel full of folks I love and adore and I learn from all the time. Uh, Just in case you don't know me, I'm Nava Hopkins. I'm over at Optimizer and I am about all things data and attribution empathy. So excited for a really good discussion. Looking forward to it too. Thank you, Nava. And also on is Bree. Well, I wish I had as good of a voice for radio as David does. You sound... (laughs) So awesome. Uh, I'm Brie Anderson. I've worked on GA4. I've worked on GA4 since the day it came out on accident. That's a whole other story. Um, but I am the owner of Beast Analytics. We're a digital uh, marketing analytics consultancy that helps people track, understand, and use their data for better return on investment. And I'm excited to be here and chat about GA4, attribution, tag manager, all the fun stuff. Get yourself a cool, funky microphone, Brie. That'll do it for you. But uh, <laughs> thanks so much, Brie, for joining us too. And um, finally, also joining us today is Irina. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you, David, for invitation. So I'm Irina, and I have a surname which is hard to pronounce. So if you would like to try, you can try this just for fun. Uh, and uh, I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, um, I'm SEO first, so I was doing SEO in-house agency side, um, building my own products. And then when G4 was introduced, I was a little bit digging into this. And in the end, now I'm an analytical consultant with good background in SEO. Uh, and uh, I run my own consultancy, I would say, also about G4, GTM and technical SEO because it's kind of connected. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's it. Superb. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, well, we've got three great panelists, as you can see, as you can hear for this particular discussion. So let's find out more about uh, about tracking, about measuring, about data, what we can get, what we can't get anymore. Shall we start off with the full customer journey? Um, so is it possible to get good detail on the full customer journey. I saw Brie nodding away there. So I'm going to pick on you first, Brie. What are your thoughts on that? You know, the more touch points we have with customers, it it can be a little bit more difficult to understand the full user journey, right? Like using something like Google Analytics 4, we can see when people are coming to our website, all of those touch points. But what if somebody just sees all of our content on Twitter and is interacting with it and let's say they do that five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times, and then they come to our website, right? Like you're only seeing one website uh, touch. So I, I, I find myself more these days trying to convince people almost to, to use their website as like a central hub so that we can start getting a better understanding of the user journey. Because once they're on the on our website, we, we do get a better understanding of how people interact with our business um, as it pertains to, to our website, right? We can see how many times they've come to the site, what pages they're looking at, how long they spend on certain pages, 
and, and things of that nature. Um, but I will say, you know, the more touch points we're able to have with customers is obviously better, but it, it's getting harder to, I personally, I think it's getting harder to really understand how much time they're spending with our brand. Um, whether they're, you know, binging our YouTube videos or watching us on TikTok or stalking our, our Twitter. Um, but, but that's a, a personal, you know, a personal antidote. I'm interested to hear what everybody else has to say. You know, it's funny when you mentioned uh, getting folks to engage with your brand. I'm reminded of a client who would survey their 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 clients, and and we would actually check against what the client said, uh, how they found the the brand versus what what actually came through. And of course, this was a lawyer, and the lawyers see they're they're saying TV, they're saying billboard, but the lion share was actually coming through the Google uh, My Business or now Google Business Profile or coming through um, uh, other social channels. So I do think it's important to have those customer interviews, ask your customers, but it's important not just from the attribution of where they come from, but where they perceive they come from. Um, and the more you understand what is actually um, sticking with your customer, the more you'll know where to maybe lean a little bit heavier. Um, I do want to give one little technical shout out on customer journey. Um, and we can go in depth into this as, as we like. Um, but I did actually find it very interesting um, with the iOS 17 update of GCLID, Facebooklid, and this is my, my paid hat coming out a little bit, where click IDs got depreciated. The things that got, that got to stay, Clavio, so email newsletters, SMS, persona ma- matching, TikTok, so that closed system that kind of holy wall of content where users are sharing that information. So yes, it's tougher to have the customer journey, but it's not impossible. And if you're really good about really organizing uh, how you want your data to come through and applying both the automation and that human acumen, it's it's definitely still possible. You said um, where they perceive their customers coming from as well. Um, so are, are, are you talking about um, not knowing where the customers come from, but making a best guess about that? Yeah. Well, there's also a a really funny thing about marketers. We all have egos larger than our budgets. Like we're 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 going to think that we know best. Um, and so there's a certain kind of double-edged sword to to asking customers what's happening because if they have that confirmation bias happen and and they perceive that say tv is where we heard from or radio is where we heard from or print or whatever is where we heard from um, but in fact it was a lot of digital or uh, they see a paid ad and they say well i saw your ad on google but in fact what they actually engaged with was um the google uh, business profile listing or the the thing that actually got them to convert and that built that trust that they came back was a really amazing bit of content um, that, that came organically. So it's it's understanding the distinction between what does the user register and what touch point do they register and what kind of content was it that they like really remembered you by versus what was the thing that got them to act? Because those will be different things. And I think Bree has a point. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's almost like IRL first touch versus last touch, right? <laughs> We're talking about, if we look at a data driven attribution, it would be like, well, they kind of like saw a billboard and then they were scrolling and they saw us on Facebook. They didn't really interact, but like they saw us and then they saw the 
the newspaper listing or whatever. And then they, they came to Google looking for a lawyer and they were like, oh, I remember that. And so they clicked on the business profile, right? Like all of those are still touch points. Um, but yeah, it's, it's more like what was, you know, like put into their memory versus what did, um, what was something that they just kind of saw in passing, uh, and, and where did they ultimately take that action? So, and I, I think you kind of touch on a good point with like ego and, and um, confirmation bias and, and things of those nat- that nature is, you know, we can say, oh, well, all these people came from, um, you know, all, all of them came from uh, or organic search, but we can say that without looking at like the, the bigger scope. In reality, everything we do is just a piece of a puzzle. It's just like, how important was that piece? How big of a piece was that? Um, yeah, really good points. Yeah, I was actually about to ask Irina what what you thought about about this, specifically from the standpoint of knowing how much you dig into like the human error component of, of all the various tools at our disposal. Yeah, I would say that first, I think that the customer journey becomes important for clients when there is usually the decrease of the inquiries. So what you're both uh, already shared that there is some, like you think that maybe the TV ads are working because you are doing them for five years, or maybe SEO is working because you are doing it for 10 years and you don't dig actually a lot into the data uh, before you see something, uh, something decreasing, especially if you are not a huge business, I think. You just stick with the same agency or with the same freelance or with the same in-house team. And this is also important to, I think, to keep in mind that there is no huge, sometimes not a huge issue happened with some of the channels. It's more that uh, you need to consistently analyze and try to collect these pieces as breeds shared. So to actually have this picture because you need to have more data to actually analyze. So we could not, because I had a client who were like, yeah, we invested into SEO for uh, for three years and we were growing a lot with the, during first year and the second year, but the third year is kind of, we are not growing. I th- We think SEO is not worth investment. And we were like, yeah, but there is huge decrease on the market and you are still growing a little bit, maybe 5%. So comparing to the market, it's actually bringing. So it's also not only about the customer journey, but also what is happening in the market. So we can actually build these puzzles a little bit better together. So I want to make one more point about this. And then I, I know we probably have to move on. Irina, I love that you're bringing up the market because I think not often enough do we benchmark what we're doing against each other. Like there, there are tools out there that, that will help you with ben- benchmarking. I'm, I'm not going to list any for, for promotional purposes unless we get asked and then I, I'll happily dive into it. Um, but regardless of where you are, absolutely benchmark. And if you are seeing that you're going down and your competitors are going down, that doesn't necessarily mean that the channel is bad. It just means that there are things that are impacting the market. If you see that you're going up and the competitors are going down, we have we throw a party. But if it's the reverse and you're going down and the competitors are going up, that might be a time to actually reevaluate not the channel whole stop, but how do you engage with that channel? Have you are the tactics that you were using from five years ago still viable? And I, I know just looking at conversion tracking from the paid side, 
I see a lot of people make the same mistake of thinking about uh, tracking and they'll, they'll bid on, or they'll, they'll have a conversion thinking that it's um, one click versus, uh, or the unique click versus the all conversions. And they'll set themselves up to have so many extra conversions and they don't understand what happened. Meanwhile, it was just, this was a setting that was depreciated or when Google helpfully uh, helped migrate over a whole bunch of conversion events from GA4 and the people were like, oh my God, I'm now double counting conversions or my conversion values are all out of whack. Sometimes it's truly just a technical glitch. Sometimes it's a change in the market, but you you want to constantly think about not just the strategies that you're employing, but the tools that you're leveraging. So one of the points that's Bree said earlier on is that she spends a lot of her time convincing people to use their website as their hub. And I, I find that, that, that really intriguing, actually. Um, so shall we move on to talking about um, managing across various channels? Um, obviously, Bree's tried to encourage as many touch points as possible to happen on the website. Um, but uh, would you like to expand on that, Bree? And it'd be great to get everyone else's perspectives on uh, how to try and ensure that every aspect of the user journey is tracked. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I was I was just kind of trying to to remind people that it's a lot easier to figure out how different um, strategies are working when we ultimately still use them to send people to our website. I mean, it's not always going to be the answer, right? It's just one of those things where it's a lot easier. And honestly, the reality of it is, most of the time, if people come to our website, they're a warm audience. They're not like freezing cold. Th- these are people that have taken some sort of step to come to our, our site, whether it's they, they have a need and they know we can fix it, or they have a need that they don't know that we can fix, or they don't know they have a need, but they know us and they just want to see how we can work with it. Right. Like there's a, a lot of different ways to get there. Um, but I think, you know, to Nava's point, we are still able to see there are a lot of strategies out there that are still um, allowing us to see like what channels people are coming from, which is, ultimately the data that we're trying to collect, right? And this this idea of the user journey and, and all of the pieces that we put together, um, there, there are plenty of ways to still do that. I think uh, as we'll dive into a little bit deeper, the biggest thing is um, getting everybody on the same page when it comes to that. Uh, because again, we're, we're all a piece of a large puzzle and there are generally speaking, multiple people touching um, the traffic that comes to our site. And we all kind of need to be on the same page as to how we're going to uh, track each of our audiences so that we can get them all in the same place. Um, so yeah, I, excited to hear uh, Irina's thoughts on this one. I, I would like to add regarding the uh, keeping all the users on the website because I think that website, this is only the channel we actually own as a marketers. Because it can be that today is Twitter, to, tomorrow it's LinkedIn, and I know Twitter is X now, and we don't know what it happened. So I think that this is the platform we own as a business owners, as a, a marketers, and that's why it's so important to try to push people to actually engage with our website. Because even if they may be reading our Twitter or maybe they are reading our LinkedIn profile, we need to encourage them to interact with our content on the website or with our contact page and everything to see a little bit more of the brand, which they can also 
keep in mind and then they will see i don't know google advertisement and they will come to the same website so they have this um, idea that this is the same brand because sometimes i think on the twitter or linkedin instagram maybe you're already somebody i don't know uh, uh, has it happened to, to you or not and you don't remember the name you remember that somebody or some company is sharing something useful but you don't remember the name maybe you remember the brand or the photo of the person and that's it so it's very important that you click and actually engage with the content and it's good for us marketers because we can then attribute this traffic that you actually remember okay this is the website i can check if i need something i love that you made that point because that happens to me all the time and what's actually really interesting is when you look at spellings of names too um, God forbid you misspell a name or someone has a popular name. So I would argue that all three of us, save Dave, sorry, David, um, have interesting, unique, beautiful names that it's actually, like, it, it's not going to be a guarantee that you're going to find uh, that name in, in the global marketplace every day. Like, so they're varying degrees in certain markets. They'll be more popular, but that that's a piece. So it's something to consider also when you're thinking about your content and your branding and how you get your customers to remember you. There are pros of being in the, the same vein as everyone thinks. I'm used to thinking in this way. I'm I, It's a popular way of thinking, but there's also value in being completely different. Um, I, I will say there are very few people with the name Nava. There are even fewer that spell it my way. So typically when someone's looking for Nava content, they know they're going to find PPC stuff. They're going to find automation stuff. They'll find optimizer. They'll find that I judge stuff. They'll find that I teach, blah, 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 blah. So when you're thinking about your content and how you have it organized, it's just as important that you are playing into human behavior of how people like to consume it and how people remember it, going back to that perception issue. There's one more point I want to make on the subject of, of websites, and then I'll, I'll leave the floor. Um, I don't think enough people harness insight search in terms of content and product the way that they should. And if there's one nugget you take away from the insights you can get from your site, it's leveraging your insight search. Um, one of my favorite people on this earth, JP Morgan, or Roger JP Morgan, JP Sherman. Oh my God. See, common, common names. And he's going to laugh so hard that I call him JP Morgan, JP Sherman. Um, he, he made this amazing point about how one of the best things that you can share between um, your departments and how you get the, the kind of breaking of the silos is your insight search and seeing what kind of content, how are your people behaving once they come to you versus what are the ways people are searching before they know who you are? And does that shift or, or is that education process that you're doing through your content working? Are they getting further down the funnel? Are they staying the same? Is, is there more work to be done? So there's a lot of insight you can gain from your insights or analytics. Great. Thank you, Nava. None taken about my name. Um, <laughs> I tell you what, I love it when people do have a unique, lengthy name. I mean, uh, Irina, um, Sergio Kozgaya. Uh, 
that that's that's a, a, a wonderful surname and uh, it gives you an opportunity to be fairly unique with that and i think many people are actually scared of using that because um they think people won't be able to pronounce it but you know it, it's that uniqueness about you and uh, hopefully it makes your personal brand um easier to get out there and um uh, easier for google to understand who you are and what you represent but sh- shall we move on to what are the current tracking restrictions. Nava, I know that you've got a lot of thoughts around iOS 17. So would you like to lead with that? Yes. So um, I don't want to make this a whole iOS privacy piece because candidly, it'd be a little bit more PPC heavy, but I just want to give a level setting just so that everyone understands what's happened and how it might impact you. So one of the most recent iOS updates, iOS 17, Um, did away with click IDs for most major ad networks. So that means the G-Clid, Facebook Clid, Twitter Clid, Microsoft, that they're they're no longer there. Now, what that means is that accounts that had set themselves up where either Universal Analytics was was connected, um, I don't think it will auto-convert, but you definitely correct me, uh, but for GA4, you had to actually have the UTM parameter. It wouldn't just... Uh, move over um, unlikely universal analytics. Um, but now you have to have that UTM parameter in your uh, URL slug. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to see that data. Now, why that impacts non-PPCs? Just because PPCs don't have the data doesn't mean that that traffic isn't still coming to your site, that there aren't there's still revenue being generated. And there now will be conversations about how much is actually attributable to X initiative versus Y initiative. And I think it's really critical that everyone gets on the same page when it comes with um, how you set up your UTM structure and that there's a, it doesn't matter what school thought you subscribe to, just that every single part of your marketing department subscribes to it. Um, And additionally, that you're aware of what channels uh, are less impacted by this. So I mentioned earlier before, uh, Clavio, which is SMS or uh, mobile marketing, text message marketing heavy, um, email marketing heavy, um, TikTok, things that are, are closed wall. So this does not mean that you cannot get full intel. It just means that you have to be much more collaborative. Um, and I will definitely yield the floor to, to the brilliant Bree and Irina to talk about the, the J4 implication. Oh, should we move on to Irina? Irina, what tracking challenges are you seeing at the moment? Um, adding to the point regarding the update uh, on iOS, it's also the update, I think, that uh, even now the more um, pushy to use cookie banners and cookie policies because we already, uh, like, I think we had already started using this a lot, but I think this is a huge uh, now push to do this even more because we introduced GE4, we need to migrate, and then for sure you need to be compliant with this. Uh, and we have some restrictions because we don't have that many data already because if you implement your cookie policy for European, you will see the huge drop of traffic, which is expected. Uh, but still you would like to collect this data as as much as you can. And uh, another thing is what Brie already shared, and maybe she can interact a little bit into this, that when we uh, implemented the cookie banner, in most, in most of the cases, and a lot of cases, it's not implemented the best way we can. So, for example, we are excluding 
all the people from all over the world, not only from the Europe, for example. So we have the same cookie policy for everybody, but we can actually choose what we can do with European users and with USA users and other countries based on the legislation, but the legislation is different. Uh, and also how you actually implement the cookies banner and do you check everything you can? Yeah, so so now we're <laughs> we're talking about all of the, the different restrictions we have, you know, iOS uh, 17, we, we started to see some of this, right, with iOS 14.5, we started to see um, some restrictions come directly from Apple when you, when you think of um, where the majority of our traffic is coming from for a lot of sites, it is mobile users, and then even more specifically, it, it is a lot of Apple users. And so um, getting rid of those... Uh, I think something interesting to talk about too is like getting rid of those specific identifiers for Microsoft, for Google, um, for Pinterest, et cetera, is that you don't necessarily like you, you do, but you don't really need like the G clid for instance, because if you connect your Google ads account to your Google analytics Four account, like you could, you could see all the, the data right there, right? Like in your Google ads report NGA four, you can see your campaigns and the spend and the results, all that stuff in GA four. So it's almost like, you know, I, I don't want to say it's going to push people to spend on G uh, on, on Google ads more because the tracking is easier. It, it's it's all right there, right? In GA4. Um, but I think, Nava, you made a really good point about, you know, using UTMs. The biggest thing, I talk to people about this all the time, is to have a plan before you execute things. You can't go in the middle of a campaign and be like, oh, so now we should think about UTMs, right? Like, we've already started spending. We've already started the strategy. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Big thing, making sure everyone's on the same page as far as nomenclature goes. Are we going to use paid? Are we going to use CPC? Are we going to use CPM? Are we going to, what, you know, what wording are we going to use? Um, what do we call Facebook? Do we call it Facebook? Do we call it meta? Do we call it Instagram? Do we call it FB? Do we call it IG? Do we, you know what I mean? Like making those decisions, making them known. And how are we separating our words? Is it a, don't use a space. That's a bad idea. But are we using hyphens? Are we using slack? You know, whatever that may be, having those conversations, making sure everyone's on board. And then also Irina talking about the cookie banners. Um, listen, I'm not a very technical person. I've been handed a lot of technical issues recently because of our cookie banners. And, um, you know, a lot of people are trying to be compliant, which is ideal, right? Like everybody should be talking to a privacy expert. Everybody should be talking to a lawyer. Um, and, and making sure that they're complying with the the legislation of the audiences that they serve, right? It's not just where we live. Like, I live in Kansas, so I don't have to worry about GDPR and CCPA and all that. That's not true. Um, if I have people coming to my website from Europe, from, you know, California, from Canada, like, I need to make sure that I have those things um, put into place. And so I think though we get a little panicked and we we just push it out. We're like, okay, this is what we need to do without considering the technical implications of, you know, you have to have it. it you almost really have to have a privacy expert on your team at this point or, or someone, a consultant that you can reach out to and make sure that you have all of this kind of set up correctly so that you're still getting as much data as, as you possibly can as uh, arena um, alluded to earlier. So 
definitely a lot to consider these days. Marie, you talked about, you know, maybe even having a privacy expert on your team. You talked about referring to a lawyer as well. Um, I mean, is this all possible, practical for a relatively small business to do? Is there not just somewhere online? Is there not some plug-in that um, small businesses can use to be relatively confident that they're complying with uh, the various laws out there? There, there are surely uh, multiple um, um, companies out there that, that help with these things. Um, I'd be interested to hear Irina Nava's take on this. Um, I, I still see people, though, using it and in, in wanting to be as compliant as possible. Uh, and it's really easy to mess up the the setup as, as far as I'm concerned. Like I've, I've seen quite a few, um, but interested to hear if anybody's found a, a good solution for this or what your guys' thoughts are. So this, this is where I will make the exception. Like I know Optimizer, we're a tool. Uh, I could talk about Optimizer functionality, um, but this is the exception where I am going to talk about tools because it, it genuinely is, is very helpful. One of them is Doodah. Um, I think it's very important that you take a look at, at the Doodah functionality. They, they've done a lot of work to make sure that their privacy compliance is really good. Wix is another one. Um, I definitely would would look at Wix. Um, when they made the shift to be SEO first, um, they put a lot of technical chops into protecting and, and really shoring up um, their integration. So yes, it might not perfectly fit you, but it definitely has a lot of, of great things. The last one I'll give as a suggestion for um, small businesses. And again, this this is oriented around the small businesses, even though both Duda and, and Wix now serve um, significantly bigger folks, um, is Hocus. Um, Hocus is on the smaller side, but they're, they're definitely growing uh, steam. And I, one of the reasons why I like them is actually you basically have a conversation with their app and then it spits out a site for you. Now, a caveat to all of these tools, one of the reasons why they are as powerful as they are from a compliance standpoint and being practical as a small business is that it is, they are pre-built in solutions. You're paying a subscription fee to have a standard turnkey, here's the approach. So if you are not a standard turnkey business, this is not gonna work for you. And unfortunately, the size of your business may not matter. You may need to actually invest in those resources like Brie mentioned. But if you can get away with more standardized services, more standardized um, implementation, I definitely recommend that. On the e-commerce side, uh, I mean, we all know Shopify, WooCommerce, BigCommerce. Like they, they all have their, up, their pros and cons. There it's a little bit tougher because like, it depends on what integrations you, you go with. But if you're a lead gen, I definitely, and, and to be fair, even e-commerce a little bit, I, I would take a look at, at those three, Duda, Wix, and, and Hocus. Brilliant. Thank you. And talking about standard turnkey approaches, can we use a standard turnkey attribution model or do we have to be a bit more bespoke with that? Uh, Brie, right, I'm, or, or Nava, go, go for it. I, I need to say one thing paid related and then I'll, I'll yield the floor forever after to these <laughs> two for the SEO side. Um, one of the biggest downfalls I see people make when it comes to attribution, when it comes to tracking is that they will opt into data-driven attribution before they actually have conversion thresholds. So there's a really unfortunate mechanic that happened with advertising networks that they did away with the minimums that are needed to opt into smart bidding, to opt into data-driven attribution. You used to need to have, I think it was 600 conversions in a 30-day period in order to use data-driven attribution, and then they threw that away. 
that should give you an idea of the old conversion thresholds that were needed. And if you're not doing 15 conversions in a 30-day period, odds are you're going to hit thresholding issues. So I strongly recommend being suspect of data until you can hit those minimum thresholds and using your own internal attribution and your own internal CRM integrations before you you dig in. That's my paid statement. Now I yield the floor for SEO. It's great to have those figures in mind. Thanks for sharing that. It's very much the same for, 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 for testing, for split testing and making sure that you've got enough data in there to actually be able to make a decision on that. But uh, Bree, in relation to attribution, what, what's your thoughts? I think we always have to kind of bear in mind that none of our data is perfect, right? Like what we're given with, with Google Analytics, it's, it's not a perfect solution. Um, so I think it is important to look at the different attribution models that we're given. Um, GA4 has a section that completely like goes over all of this that a lot of people tend to overlook. So in that primary navigation, you see your home. Uh, reports, explore, and then advertising. A lot of organic people look over the advertising section because they're like, oh, I'm not spending money. But really, it, it kind of got misnamed somehow. That's where all of your attribution data lives. So that's where you can compare attribution models. That's where you can look at conversion paths and flows. Um, so I think that um, when it comes to, to different attribution models, it's always best to kind of look at how they compare with each other as you can, like when you can. Um, and obviously, you know, this is talking on the GA4 side. So uh, I'm, I'm glad Nava jumped in with paid. I, I haven't been in Google ads in a minute. So, um, you know, I, I think that it, it's always good to have the different standpoints. I mean, I'm interested to hear what your thoughts on attribution are, um, specifically attribution models as uh, GA4 has kind of changed the way that some of those work. I really support your idea about uh, that we shouldn't look only into GA4, for example, because uh, this is only one tool. And we could not say this is the, all the data we have. So if you, for example, have HubSpot or anything else, this is good thing that you can compare this. And also have uh, heard a lot from clients like, oh, this data doesn't match. It means something is going wrong. So it's usually it's not 100% uh, the sign that something is not wrong. It's good that you have two different tools. You can compare the data can have your backend like form submissions or e-commerce data and you can then compare what is going on so you can make this uh, bigger puzzle and to see what is happening with the data so when uh, we think about g4 we should not think as this is one tool we are using and we also need to think about uh, what other tools we can add. For example, Microsoft Clarity can give us much more data about the c content consumption and everything. So it's some kind of, especially for small businesses, I think for sure they are struggling uh, with having different tools and some of them pay, do I need to pay for another consultant to do this? But on the other side, if you are thinking about long term, this is the investment you are uh, doing. So it's not something uh, like uh, you, you would like to do one time and that's it. So you are doing this for years and you need this data and you need to understand better what is going on. 
Rina, you talk about comparing the data. Um, so let's just, just move on slightly and talk about making sense from the data and actually using the data to tell a story and talking to other people within the organization to actually uh, try and assist with setting the strategy from the data. Um, so maybe staying, staying with you, Rina, maybe what kind of process do you go through? Um, do you use a third party tool to analyze data from multiple sources? And how do you talk to people internally within organizations about that um, and assist them in terms of strategy moving forward from that? I would say that the first step is actually to, to be sure that you are collecting the data and the data is the right which you are collecting. Because this is, I think, we already mentioned that you can have some kind of conversions which were set it up by somebody else. Nobody knows. Maybe it was after migration from Nocell Analytics. So this is the first step to understand if you have the clear data, the clean data and the data you would like to have. And then build out of this already the rapper thing. Because most of the clients, I think, they come to us and they like, oh, we'd like to implement G4. Oh, we'd like to implement new conversions. We would like to run PPC or SEO. But actually, we must have a step back. And then you talk with them and you know that a lot of things that they were doing, this is not something you can use actually to build your strategy. You need first to understand what actually happening and to build this groundwork for yourself, and then to actually uh, have this strategy um, applied. So very often you need even some time to collect this correct data to have some uh, data to actually use for the strategy. Yeah, such a such a good point. That's actually something that I've been really kind of pushing clients into recently is let's just start documenting what we're doing um, in Tag Manager and GA4. Like let's let's have a document that talks about these are the events that we are collecting. This is why we are collecting these events and this is how they are set up. Because also it's not we know that analytics properties get passed from team to team to team, whether that's different agencies, people in-house, people on the sales side, people in marketing, IT somehow gets their hands in there. And then we have this like, well, they're using it. So I guess it's got to stay on. And then you go and talk to them and they're like, I don't even know what this is. Right. So um, having a central like document that, that everybody can see and um, understand what's being collected and why and how, because what also happens is, you know, sometimes we have to hodgepodge solutions together, right? And we're like, well, we can grab the like ID of this specific element. And if people are interacting with this, then we know that um, they're doing X, Y, or Z, but then somebody goes in and changes that element. And now all of a sudden it's not tracking, right? So having a like understanding before like a document where people can go, if I change this, am I going to break something or like this broke? Why did it break? And then you can go and check those specific elements. Um, and then using that same setup across as it, it's, it's best as you can across your different um, analytics platforms, whether that's your CRMs or, you know, uh, other analytics properties, uh, having that same setup is going to make it a lot easier to compare data because what you don't want to do is compare apples and freaking cucumbers, right? Like at that point, it's not even apples and oranges. You're using a different program that attributes things differently and they're attributing different events. Like now, now we, we don't even have anything that's comparable. So 
making sure the data is comparable. It's got a good foundation, as Irina was saying, and then um, looking for things that are statistically significant, which talks about those thresholding, making sure we have enough data, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Nava, do you find that you're often comparing apples and cucumbers? Um, when I want to have a nice spa day with my data, it's great. Just a little nibble, cucumbers on the eyes. Um, it's funny as you were talking about notes and, and making annotations, um, on the paid side, there's a built-in report for change history and you can actually have the anecdotes and it's, it's, it's great. But what's actually really fascinating is when you think about the change history, many people are very good at actually documenting. They're very bad at documenting the why. And what I actually find is very useful, especially if you, if you're the sort of organization that's sharing your site and, and, and data between all departments. It's not just paid and, and, and SEO siloed. You want, I actually find a ticketing system for any change you want to make is very helpful because it lets you have a Q, uh, like a, a QA system of, I should be able to make this change. Well, that change is going to break, break everything. Like, please, please don't. But when people go so fast and so rapid fire, like I have to get done, I have to get it done, I have to get it done. They typically break things. So having that ticketing system um, actually works very well. I've, I've seen it work in agencies. I've seen it work in house. I've, it, it, it tends to work very well. And it comes from a product development standpoint of just because you're working on marketing tasks doesn't mean that it's not a product. Like your marketing organization is the product that's driving uh, your your business's success. So you want to make sure that there is a certain bit of vetting. Um, one last note on this, and then I, I know we probably need to wrap up soon. When it comes to data, there is a certain amount of modeling that we are all going to have to get comfortable with. So that original question of how well can we know the customer journey, there's a lot of technical solutions out and there's a lot of gut feel out and, and there's a lot of things that you can do. But at the end of the day, I think we all just need to get a little bit more comfortable with, we are 75 to 80% confident that this is the data. And then there's that other percentage where it's like, yeah, wishy-washy. And that's where you do tests. Like for example, you might remove your entire paid offering for a quarter and see how does the quarter compare to the previous year? How does, how does it compare year over year, quarter over quarter? And if you see that your uh, sales drop, then you know, okay, paid was actually doing something, even if it's not attributable. Same thing with SEO. You can, and it's a lot more hurtful if you do it to SEO because SEO takes longer to, to get ramped back up because you're like, all right, we're going to downplay the amount of content we produce, or we're, we're going to downsize um, our crawl budget just to try to save a couple of nickels and dimes. Does it actually impact our sales? And if the answer is yes, then you, you, you can concretely know that yes, you, you should keep doing the thing, even if the metrics might be modeled. Superb. So obviously tracking and attribution challenges starts off with trying to make sure that you've got the, the right data, that your data is as accurate as possible. So shall we finish off by asking each of you one thing that an SEO needs to do, because most people who listen listening to this are SEO. So that one thing that an SEO needs to do to try to ensure that they're tracking their data correctly. Um, and after you've answered that one, I'll just ask you to, to remind people of um, who you are and where people can find you online. So in terms of that last tip, uh, shall we stick with you, Nava? Uh, would you like to share something? 
I love that you pick on me just as I muted myself to let Irina go, but either way. Um, all right. So my number one thing is get a UTM parameter uh, structure in place. If it's not already in place right now, you need to make sure that you are really confident and happy with how your UTM structures are in place. Um, if you are not happy and confident, Take a month, audit every single URL, and come up with a scheme that you can commit to and commit to it. Um, if you're interested in hearing more advice from me, uh, Nava Hopkins, you can find me over at Optimizer. We're a software that helps manage different app platforms, but we do quite a bit of reporting for GA4 and analytics. So it's, it's some useful integrations there, some benchmarking. Um, you can find me on Twitter, now X. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I do a lot of public speaking, a lot of blogging, and I love helping people. So I, I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to participate in this discussion. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Much appreciated um, that you uh, come on here as well. Irina, uh, let's move over to you. So my number one tip will be for SROs uh, to, when you, if you start with the project, with the new project, or you're already working with this one, to be sure that actually the tracking you are looking at is implemented correctly. For example, if your your most important tool is G4, be sure that actually tracking is implemented correctly. So it's kind of uh, might be that you can learn how to do this on your own, or maybe you hire the consultant, and, or you have somebody internally in the team you can talk and be sure that you're counting the right number of page views, right conversions, which are important for your SEO. The cookie banner is implemented the way it should be and you are not losing some data you can because this one is really really crucial when you should show the results because this is where you will go and to show okay this is the SEO this is how many conversions it brought this is how many users it brought if you will find this out for example in half a year it will be much much more tricky for you to actually show your results because maybe it was tracked incorrectly and uh, uh, this doesn't lay directly into responsibility for SROs, but this is what actually we need to have to show that our job is actually done on a high level. And uh, yeah, if you would like to learn more, you can visit my website. I have some um, guidance about G4 and everything. Uh, and I also do consultancy about this, uh, but there are also a lot of free resources. So don't limit yourself if you are just studying, for example, as a freelancer and everything. Uh, it's just something you need to keep in mind. And for example, when I started as a self freelancer, I have not thought about that. So it's kind of important. And uh, yeah, you can find me on irinakudras.com or on LinkedIn. I'm quite not so active, but I'm trying to be active and I'm happy also to answer questions if you would like to just DM me. Thank you so much, Rina. Um, I guess my biggest piece of advice is going to be, especially for SEOs that are more than likely avoiding that advertising section in GA4 to just go take a look. I think there's a lot that can be learned there. Um, it, it's very, like I said, very poorly named. So uh, I think you know, looking at that and then even going into explore and looking at path explorations can be helpful too, um, to see how people move kind of through the website and, and things of that nature. But really the, the biggest 
the biggest thing to remember is that it's all a piece of a bigger puzzle. When we talk about attribution, you know, who gets who gets this piece of the pie? Um, ultimately, we should all really kind of be working together. Um, and generally, it takes more than one strategy to get somebody to convert, uh, especially if you have a higher ticket item um, or something where people need a little bit more trust in you. So I, I would say, yeah, make sure you're you're looking at all of the all of the different angles as far as like um, the different attribution models, the different places where you can collect data. Uh, and yeah, if you ever want to talk about attribution, if you ever want to talk about tracking, if you have any questions about GA4, come visit me on Twitter, Bree E. Anderson. I'm not going to call it X because I don't like that. Um, hey, I hang out a lot on Twitter. Uh, you can find uh, you can find my stuff on YouTube. You just Google Bree E. Anderson. I've got all sorts of junk out there. Who knows? Maybe something can help you. Go and check out Bree's junk. <laughs> there's a call to action for you <laughs> thank you so much for joining us wonderful panel discussion I've been your host David Bain and you've been listening to the Majestic SEO podcast if you want to join us live next time sign up at majestic.com slash webinars and of course check out our other series at seo in 2023.com mm-hmm.